Oh, what a great way to start off our new year. So glad to be together. And I thought I'd start off our time together by telling you one of the most important things in our lives. And when I say our lives, my wife and I, uh, we, this thing in our lives is, I would say, even more important sometimes than food or water. It's an essential. And we have them everywhere in our house. And let me show you what that is. It's uh, baby wipes. These things are like gold in our house. And it's not because we have to change diapers, but it's because of all of the messes that we have to clean up in our lives. We have these things in our house, in our cars, wherever we are at, I can guarantee you we're going to have some of these. And there's many reasons why we would. I'll just give you an example of what that looks like in our life. This is, uh, if we put it on the screen, this is my daughter Eden. Yeah. This is just one that we've captured, thankfully. So Paula sends me this picture at work one day, and I, of course, reply back, what in the world happened? Well, Eden was uh, doing something on the couch. Paula was getting ready, and she spilled something on the couch. And she has seen mom and dad clean up spills by putting a little bit of baking soda to soak it up, and then, of course, we would clean it up. So she was trying to be responsible. She grabs the thing of uh, baking soda, and instead of just putting a little bit on there, she dumps the whole thing on the couch. Now, that would have been fine. However, if you can notice in the picture, there are handprints all over in the baking soda. And as you zoom into the picture, you see a girl who is just looking at mom like, hmm, did I do something wrong? But the best part, if you can see in the picture, are there are handprints all around the other part of the couch. So she played with it, didn't see anything wrong with it, put her hands on the couch to get on the couch, and then, of course, created a mess there as well. There are lots of messes in our lives just like this that we use baby wipes for. But my question to you today is, how do you clean up the messes in your life that affect your life on a daily basis? that are holding you back, that are bigger than being able to uh, clean up with a baby wipe? What do you do with the messes in your life that are hurting you internally, that are making you fear, making you doubt, making you worry, making you think less of yourself? How do you clean those messes up? How do you clean the messes up that spill out into your lives, that affect your marriage, that affect your dating life, that affect your relationship with friends, or your relationship with teachers, or your relationship with your boss or coworkers. Many of us have messes in our lives that we make over and over and over again. They're way too big for a baby wipe to clean up. We need to do something about it, or we'll continue to make the same messes over and over again. So really, you have a few options. One, you just ignore them, pretend they don't exist. But we see what's happening as a result, so it's hard to ignore. You can justify it or blame. That's one of our go-tos, right? When there's a mess in our lives, we look for the person that we can offload it on so we don't have to take responsibility for it. And it feels good for a while, but it still does not clean up the mess. We can ignore it, we can justify it, or we can address the mess. And that's what we want to do over these three weeks We want to address the messes in our lives. Let's stop pretending they're not there. Stop blaming other people. We need to do something about it so we can live the life that God wants us to live. 
So I'm gonna kick off the series this week. Pastor Todd will be here next week and then I'll close the series in a couple more weeks looking at things in our lives that are creating different messes all throughout our life. Now, I wanna start with a mess and I'm just telling you up front, you're not gonna think it's really a mess. You're gonna think that's not really a big deal. In fact, when I introduced our characters to you this morning, they at first didn't think it was a big deal either. But it leads to the biggest mess that you can make in your life. And if we don't do something about it today, we will continue to make the same mess over and over again. So I go to the story that we'll read today. It's a famous story, a story that many of us know. But I want to look at it from a different perspective this morning. It's the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, uh, in the Bible, they're the first two humans ever to be created, ever to live life on earth. And man, the earth that they lived on was perfect. It was beautiful. It was peaceful. The word the Bible used to describe their existence, it was it, it's shalom-like existence. Nothing can touch the peace that they experienced on a daily basis. They had peace with God, peace with his creation, peace with each other. And then something terribly happens, like something terrible goes wrong that happens that we see right in Genesis chapter two, verse 16 and 17. The Lord God warned him. They said, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely Die. Now, many people think the fruit was probably something like an apple. We don't know for sure. But let's say, for instance, it was an apple. Here's God. He's giving instructions how to live in the garden in such a way that they will prosper. They will have peace. They will have life. And he says, listen, you can eat from all the other trees. I think when we hear the story, we only focus on the tree that they can't eat from. But God is saying, all the other trees, all of my creation, it's for you. Enjoy it. Eat of it. Have whatever you want. But just don't go after the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's off limits. But we see in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, somebody changes that. The serpent. The serpent in the Middle East, when you're reading Middle East literature, the serpent represents evil. In this case, this is the evil one known as Satan, the one who is the anti-God. And we see him coming into the story and he slithers his way in to where uh, Adam and Eve are. And here's what happens. The serpent was the shrewdest of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And then one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden. So Satan comes along and says, listen, does God really say that? Come on. Are you, are you sure? Now I'm interested in to see how does Eve respond to this? Because she knows beyond a shadow of a doubt of what God instructs her and Eve not to do. So here's what she says. She says, of course, we can eat from all the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it because if you do, you will die. Eve passes the test, right? 
Here's the serpent questioning, is God really who he is? Does God really believe what he says? Do you believe God is who he is and believe what he says? And Eve says, well, this is what God says. He tells us not to eat from this one tree, but we can eat from all the other ones. And we know if we eat from this tree, we will die. Serpent says, well, you're not going to die. I know God said you're going to die, but does he really mean that? Come on, you're not going to die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Satan said, look, I know God said don't eat this. It'll hurt you, it'll kill you, it'll make you die, but come on, you're not going to really die. Why would God want you to die? Why would God put a tree there that he wouldn't want you to touch? Of course he wants you to. In fact, you should know what's right and wrong. You should have the power. You know that God knows and you trust that, but wouldn't you like to have that same power? Wouldn't you like to have that same wisdom that knows the difference between good and evil? Don't you want to be like God? Adam and Eve, they have, a, they have something they have to think about. Do they believe God or they believe themselves and maybe some of the worst words you'll ever read in the bible the woman was convinced not convinced at what god said but convinced that what she knew was best she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her and she took of the tree and she ate it. Adam took from the tree and ate it. And at that point, we see crazy, a crazy, unbelievably humongous mess. Now, what's interesting about this story is when I, I hear people talking about it, a lot of people focus on a couple different things in the story, and oftentimes it's negative. But what I want to propose to you this morning is that what happened in the garden, at least at first, was positive. Because there's a lot of different angles that you can look at this story in, but I want to present one that maybe you and I haven't thought a lot about. And it has to do with limits or boundaries. You see, God cares so much about his people that he looked them in the eye and said, here's what you can do, and here's what you can't do. Here's what you can do, and I'm going to draw a limit around that. Just stay within this boundary. And if you do, everything will be fine. But if you choose not to, then everything won't be fine. So many people, when they hear this story, they go right to the word prohibition. They look at what God says not to do, and they say, geez, God's such a killjoy. Why would God do that? Why would God limit them? Why would God set them up to fail? And it's a, it's a question that we all need to ask. It's a question that you ask, why is the tree even there? Do you want to know the answer? We don't know. I don't know why the, tr the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil is there. 
And you can go down that road and say, well, God is just a prohibitionist. God doesn't care. He says no to all these things. He's this killjoy. And that's a way to look at it. But I promise you, you will miss what the story is truly teaching. And you will miss who God is and you will miss his character. Because, yes, you can look at it through the lens of prohibition or you can look at it through the lens of provision. Very different paths to look at this story because here's the thing. Like I said before, we focus on the tree. We focus on the one. He says, don't do. But we never say, wow, God is so good that he gives them anything else they want. But he doesn't give them unlimited freedom. He loves them enough to put something around them as a boundary or a limit to say, listen, I want to protect you from you. And this is providing for you in a way that you're going to be able to have an incredible relationship with me and my creation and my people. Just stay within the limits. This is for your good. And that's the first thing about boundaries that I wanted to share with you today. They are for our good. You know what's interesting? When I read this story, this, pop, this just stood out to me when I was reading it. Adam and Eve, after God tells them no, God says, don't do this. Adam and Eve, at least we don't see, don't go back to their home and say, man, that God, what's wrong with him? What do you mean he says no? I want to have that fruit. What a jerk. How could he do that? He, they never, ever say that. They believe it's for their good. Now, oftentimes, we probably don't always think that way. Last night, uh, we were walking through the offices of the church, and there's a candy jar at the receptionist's desk. I don't like it because every time I go by it, I feel like I should probably reach in there to serve our receptionist and eat one. <laughs> but our kids, they are magnets to this thing. Right now, all we have in the jar are hard candy. Eden, who's almost four, can have it. Hudson and Micah can have it, but Remy can't. And Remy doesn't like when you tell her no. So all of a sudden, I'm walking through the offices, and I'm hearing screaming. I'm thinking, oh, geez, what happened? Well, first of all, they broke the lid, so that's part of the screaming. Address the mess. How funny is that? But, but Remy, she's just screaming. She wants that piece of candy. And for her, when I tell her no and I take it away, she doesn't see it as good. But as her parent who loves her, I'm saying, listen, this is for your good. You may not see it that way. And someday you can have this, but right now you can't. The limit that I'm putting on you is for your good. Sometimes we don't recognize that, but if God is truly good and God is truly all-knowing and he puts limits in our lives and he puts limits in Adam and Eve's life in that moment, he's doing it not to set you up to fail, but to set you up to succeed. He's providing providing a way forward to live in God's world, God's way. He wants us to succeed and limits that he places on Adam and Eve and in our lives. They're for our good, even though we don't always like them. But they're not just for our good. They're a way to truly trust God. They're an opportunity for us to look at what God has drawn, what he has limited, and we can either say, yes, God, thank you for that, 
or no, I don't like that. And the greatest thing about God is that he doesn't put us on this earth and, and make us robots and make us do what he wants. He will tell us what to do or not to do, and then we have to trust that. You see, trusting God is the most important thing you and I can do. And you say, of course you say that. You're a pastor, but I'm just telling you, when we do it, life goes well. And when we don't, life is a mess. The most important thing you can do in your life is to put God at the center and trust him with all that he says and all that he does in your life so you can live in God's world, God's way. And God doesn't just say that in the Old Testament. Jesus carries that through in the New. There's this crowd and they're seeing Jesus perform all these miracles. And of course, they ask the question that all of us would hopefully ask if Jesus was around. How do I do that? Jesus, he turns a a kid's lunch into a a meal for 5,000 plus people. Wouldn't that be nice to be able to do at a party? You would be invited to all the social gatherings if you were the person that people could spend $5 on a meal and you could turn it into a meal for hundreds. And these people are like, I want to be able to do that. This is so incredible. How do I perform this? And Jesus looks at them and says, you really want to know what the most important thing is? You want to know what really matters? It's not turning a boy's lunch into a meal for 5,000. What he tells them is to believe in the one that he has sent. Jesus repeats that word believe or trust in the Gospel of John 98 times. And it's carried through the whole Bible. The theme of the Bible is God says this, We have a choice if we say yes or no. Will we trust him or not? All God wants from you and I is you and I. All of us. And when he puts limits in our life, just like he did with Adam and Eve, he does so to show us that these things are for our good and these things are an opportunity to trust God. The only time that it all went haywire is when Eve was convinced that she knew more than God and thus got into the mess that we even find ourselves in today. I wonder how many messes, if we really boiled it down, has to do with not truly trusting God. I wonder how many times God draws limits in our life and we look at those and we say, man, God, All you are is about prohibition. All you are is about saying no. I want to live my life my way. And if you think of God that way, you will live your life your way. But if you look at the limits or the boundaries that he places in your life as provision or providing for you, you will live in such a way where you will see the goodness of them. You will trust in him and you will live the life that you truly want to live. Let me give you some examples of what I mean. There are limits in all of our lives. I could talk about many of them, and I'll try to give as many examples as I can, but let me give you a few. The first is this. There is a limit in our lives of our personality where God draws a limit in our lives and says, I've created you this way. Stay within who you are, and if you become who I have created you to be, oh man, you're going to live life with freedom. 
at our house, um, we're addicted to one show right now, Mr. Rogers. I know it's a throwback, but my little Remy, she found it on the PBS app, and now she walks around our whole house just yelling, Rogers, Rogers, Rogers. She only knows like 10 words. That's one of them. And so oftentimes when Paula is putting uh, our other son to bed, I sit down with Remy, and we're on the couch, and we watch Rogers. And the other day, we're sitting on the couch, and Mr. Rogers starts to sing a song. And I won't lie, at first I was probably tuned out on my phone because I have outgrown Mr. Rogers, or so I thought. (laughs) Because he starts to sing this song, and immediately I was glued. And the song is so basic, but so life-changing. He looks in the camera at kids and adults, and he sings this song, It's You I Like. He sings this song about You are the person that I like. Don't be this person. Don't be that person. Just be you. I thought to myself, what was so powerful to me in that moment wasn't I felt like Mr. Rogers was singing that to me. I felt like it was God singing it to me. There are so many times in my life when I doubt myself, when I don't like myself, when I want to be like this person or that person. And God is saying, Eric, When I created you, I broke the mold. When he created you, he broke the mold. There's only one like you. And God declares over your life, I like you. It's you that I like. And many of us in this room know that God has to love us, but many of us don't believe God likes us because we don't like ourselves. We spend so much time trying to be somebody else or we spend so much time holding back who we are so we can be accepted and liked by people that honestly, in the end, it really doesn't matter. There is a limit to how God has created you. And sometimes it doesn't always feel good, but I promise it's for your good. You and I have the opportunity to trust him. Do we trust him and embrace who God has made me to be? Because it's you that he likes. Or the limit of rest. And some of you are like, what? What's that word? Rest. Some of us don't know what that word means because we don't rest. Some of us don't know how to say no. Some of us feel like we have to do everything with everybody because if I don't rest or if I don't say no, I'll let people down or I won't feel fulfilled or or whatever it is that makes us to continue to go and go and go and go. And when we say we should sleep in a little bit or we should rest from doing something, it's almost like we feel lazy. But when I read the story of creation and the last thing God does is sit down and rest, What do you think he's telling us? Or when he is right, he's allowing the Ten Commandments to be written and the longest one is on rest, Sabbath, saying no, putting a boundary around your life. Or what boggles my mind, I still don't understand this. I want to ask Jesus about this someday. Jesus, you had over a thousand days in your ministry, three years. When I read the Gospels, I would expect to see Jesus slamming down monsters and coffee like crazy, sleeping three hours, spending as much time as he can with people and ministering to them. And then when I read the Gospels, I see that he says no. He doesn't always heal everybody. And a lot of times the disciples are like, oh, where's Jesus again? Can't find Jesus. Well, he's with his father, resting. 
being, praying, allowing him to understand that who he is is not defined by what he does. It's but being defined by being in the presence of God. We live in a culture where it says we'll sleep when we die. Some of us are dying right now. and We don't even know it because we're not resting. We're not being. We're not staying within the limit and we're not trusting that it's good for us because somehow we've believed along the way that we're God and we need to do it all. And God says, why don't you just sit down and relax in my presence? Or the limit of technology. This is a limit that even people are writing about now. And I wonder what books will be written in 20, 30, 50 years about how we've abused technology and how it has hurt us and we don't even know some of the pain that it's causing us. You know what boggles my mind? The phone companies even understand that we need to put limits on our phones. One of the biggest blessings and the biggest curses on my Apple iPhone right now is screen time. Because I just looked at my phone before I came up, and somehow it reported that my screen time was up 7% this week. And I don't like that. I always try to beat the number from the week before, but downwards, <laughs> decreasing. But I had it up. But one of the things that I do like about it is this. I can set limits on my apps. So what I have done is I, have, I can get addicted to Facebook and Instagram. And it's not even that I like to be on it. There are just times where I'll just be scrolling because I just want to escape life. And I justify that I'm just escaping life. And so I had to put limits. How sad is that? I had to literally tell my phone, set limits on me because I am obsessed. And this is what pops up after 15 minutes. Time limit, you've reached your limit on Facebook. And then there's that blue attractive button that says hit OK. Because if I hit OK, the phone will not open up to Facebook. However... That little two words at the bottom. It's like Satan saying, oh, come on. Did God really say that? Did God really say to hit the ignore limit button? And there are so many times when I hit the ignore limit button, it says 15 minutes. You want just 15 minutes more? Yeah, what's 15 minutes going to cost? So I hit it. I hit it. I hit it. I ignore the limits. That even my phone is saying, dude, you got to put some limits on this. I mean, phone companies are literally saying, I don't even want all of you on it all the time. you got to do something about it. How crazy is that? And when we don't, not only do we become obsessed with it, we can't put it down, we can't have conversations with people. How many times have you been in a meaningful conversation and when you hear a buzz or a beep or a ring, it literally interrupts you and all you can do is focus on that thing? We can't stay in the limits that God is putting on us. And it's ruining our relationships and it's damaging our souls. And there's so many more limits I could tell you about, like marriage, that God brings two together. And if you stay within that limit, it's gonna be great. But some of us know when we look outside of that limit, it is disastrous. God puts limits on our friendships. We can't be, that's the thing about Facebook. You think you gotta be friends with 10,000 people. You can't. You can only have meaningful relationships with a few if you're doing it right. There's so many different limits that God puts in our lives. And if we're like Adam and Eve, we can believe him at first or we can go along and then all of a sudden we may say to ourselves, did God really say that? No, God wants me to be happy. God wants me to run my own life. God wants me to do what I think is wise, which leads to my last limit. 
a limit of worship. God created you and I in such a way that we would worship. It's so great. The word worship literally means worth-ship. That you give worth to something in our lives. And God created us to do that. And at any given time, you and I are putting our worth in something or someone that will then give us our identity, give us the means, give us the motivation, give us the vision to live our lives. And God says, here's the great part. If you worship me and me alone, I will do incredible things in your life. Your life will be good. Your life will matter. Your life will have meaning and nothing will interrupt that. But if we give our worth to anything else other than God, how quickly the biggest messes in our life happen. I mean, Adam and Eve, they were at peace with God, peace with creation, peace with each other. Everything was perfect. All they would have had to say is, this is a limit that God has placed in my life. And he says no, and I don't understand why, but I'm going to trust it. And I have everything else that I need. But then, Genesis 3, verse 6, the woman was convinced. And when you and I are convinced that we won't die, and we're convinced that we can be like God, we cross the limit and we worship other things. And some of us are dying in this room, maybe not physically, but emotionally and spiritually and relationally because we're worshiping something else that can't give us what God can only give us. So what do you do when that happens? What do you do when the fruit looks too attractive not to take? What do you do when, when the enemy says you won't die and in fact, not only will you actually live, you get to be like God. What happens when we do take of the fruit and when we realize that it was a lie and that we do die and that being God isn't fun? How do you clean up that mess? You and I are here today because we don't know how. Andy Stanley puts it this way. If you knew how, you would have done it already. What do we do? What does Adam and Eve do? They took of the fruit, they blew it. They went outside the limit that God placed on their lives and they go into hiding. They could have stayed there for the rest of their lives. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. They knew they blew it. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? That is unconditional love in three words. In other words, though we ignore God's limits, God's love knows no limits. When you and I walk outside of God's boundaries and we try to take God's job from him and we don't trust him with our whole life and we blow it, we find ourselves in a place that we don't want to be, God says, come out. Where are you? I want you. You can't escape God's love no matter what you and I do. And to prove that to you this morning, I want to end 
with two verses that every time I read, it just shows me that what matters most isn't what I do. What matters most is who I trust. Because no matter what I do wrong, he will pursue me and bring me back to him so I can live my life God's way. Some of you in this room, you didn't even know you had a mess. But when you really look underneath with the anxiety, the fear, the loneliness, it's a limit problem. But God says when you have a limit problem, you'll never have a love problem. And I want to end with these words. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. In other words, when we were hiding, that even though we were dead, because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Wherever you're hiding, even if you find yourself dead, Jesus will pursue you. And though you may ignore his limits, God's love knows no limits. Let's pray. Father, there are a lot of apples I've bitten into and have regretted it. How many times that you've said no, not because you're a killjoy, but because you love me. And how many times I've messed up my life and I've gone into hiding because of it. God, I pray for those who are hiding and they don't even know it. That when they hear the words, where are you? Instead of living in guilt and shame, they will come out and embrace you. I pray, Lord, that all of us in this room would recognize the limits that you place on our life are for our good and a means by which we can trust you with them. Please allow us to live within that so we can live your best life. We thank you for them. And we pray this in Jesus' name.